Hey, welcome to Bible study. It's good to see everybody tonight. Glad you're here. Going to start our time in prayer. So let's ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for this opportunity to meet in this neighborhood at this time. And we thank you for your presence. Uh, we pray, God, that we would really hear you tonight. You guys ask that you would teach us. We ask that we would be ready to learn. Uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word. Prepare us to be changed, God. And I ask you that there would be something that would happen in us tonight that would be different when we leave here. And so, God, I ask for your word to be strong. I pray, God, the work of your Holy Spirit to be strong. I pray, God, your grace and your mercy to be strong. And I ask you that we would respond to you. Uh, we give you thanks tonight. We pray your blessing. You're leading. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. As you turn to Romans 14, just a quick reminder that we have an interactive feature with Bible study. If you are listening to us from AFAR, you may use the interactive feature. It's found at a website, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go to that site, you'll find a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what appears to be a voicemail message. It could be a question, a comment, anything you'd like to leave, but we'd love to hear from you uh, as you've been listening. Uh, we'd love to have you participate with us. Romans chapter 14. Need a volunteer to read verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Thanks for reading that. Uh, This is, as I was reading through, uh, preparing for the study tonight, there were a couple commentaries and uh, in a couple different spots, different guys said the same thing. And here's what they said. They said, this is one of the great points in the writings of Paul that we need to examine ourselves on. So I thought it was really interesting that they caught and they emphasized the importance of what's being said here. Uh, because there is a really important thing that's being said here. This is a, a really important point to who we are as Christians, the work of Christ in our life. We call on the name of Christ. This is an important part of what that manifests as in and through us. So it is one of the key and great points that we need to examine ourselves on. And really we need to examine ourselves. Because it's one thing for us to look at our own life and see areas where we're being selfish. Or look at our own life and see areas where we're really just living for ourselves or at our own disposal or however you want to call that. And it's, it's one thing for us to see that ourselves and be able to, to recognize that and pick that out. And it's a much harder thing for us to hear that from somebody else. I'm just saying that I think it's a good revelation to be able to see it ourselves. I think it's a hard revelation to be able to receive that from somebody else. Because our first inclination whenever somebody else tells us something like that is to think in our mind or to point out where they've been selfish before or to find something in them that falls short so that we don't have to listen to them. That's a hard revelation. Now, I I don't think we should do that. 
Don't get me wrong. I don't think we should do that. I think there should be something in us that's willing to hear what somebody has to say, even if it's a hard word, and then examine ourselves based on that word and let's see where we're at. And say, okay, God, what do you want to say through this? Maybe that's not the way I would have said it, but what do you want to say through it? Because a lot of times truth comes in ways that we wouldn't have said it. A lot of times truth comes in ways that, that maybe is offensive to us sometimes. Man, more than sometimes, a lot of times. A lot of times it's offensive to us. That doesn't mean it's any less true. It just means the delivery is terrible. So let's, let, let's think in terms of truth. Let's think in terms of, of what the truth is over us. And, and let's ask God to reveal things to us as we examine ourselves tonight. As you hear this word, examine yourself. As you hear what God might be speaking to you, apply that to your heart, apply that to your life, and let that revelation come from Him, or or maybe just you looking in the mirror, the spiritual mirror tonight, and taking a hold of something. Save somebody the heartache of listening to you judge them back, okay? Save somebody the 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 hurt of you saying something that you'll regret later to them. And let's examine ourselves, and let's see what God might speak to us, and let's see what God might reveal, and let's see what God might challenge us in to change. All right, I got a bunch of verses for you, and we'll get to them as we go. But uh, the first verse, excuse me, the first thing I want to say, first part of this, is that it's not all about you. And I know that's a shock, but it's not. And I know your mom might have told you something else or somebody else in your life, but it's not all about you. It's just not. And it never was. And it never will be. Uh, there are way too many people on the planet, way too many people in the kingdom, way too many people in heaven, way too many people that are in, in the presence of God right now, way too many people that are doing God's work, way too many prophets, way too many people that are involved in spiritual gifts, way too many people that are anointing of the Holy Spirit, way too many people that are preaching the gospel for it to be about you. It's just not. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care all the things you can do. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how dumb you are. I don't care anything about that. It's never all about you, either to the positive or to the negative. What do I mean to the negative? I mean those people that will disqualify themselves from every discussion because they've decided that they're unqualified. Well, it's not all about you. And that means you're still in the discussion. So, if it was all about you, and you were the end all of God's hope for all of humanity, God help us all. Alright, so don't, don't disqualify yourself or overqualify yourself for anything because it's not all about you in either direction. It's about God, it's about what He wants to do. And there may be things that He's going to speak over your life that you've never even considered before. Good. Good. That just shows that He is God of the universe. That just shows that he's bigger and he's more vast than you are. That's all. Or maybe he's going to have you do something that you've tried before and you failed at. Well, good. Because all the more glory that goes to him because you tried it in your own power and you couldn't do it. Good. In either way, he's the one that's being glorified through that. And so keeping in mind that it's not all about us, keeping in mind that we've not been called to live at our own disposal. 
And by that I mean when we're available or we're not available, we haven't been called to live at our own disposal. It's not up to us. Good lesson in that? Babies. You have two people, they're single, they, find, they get married, they figure, okay, now i got to deal with this other person. And so they start dealing with this other person, but then they have a baby. And the other person, they're trying to help out with it, okay? Before the baby comes, you know, you're just trying to get along, you're giving, taking, giving, taking. The baby, you know what a baby is? A baby's a tyrant. A baby's going to let you know when and where you are needed. And they are a tyrant, and you learn to live at someone else's disposal. And it's just how it is. That baby's hungry, that baby's going to let you know that baby's hungry. That baby just crapped their pants, that baby's going to let you know they just crapped their pants. And you know whose job that is? To fix it? It's yours, because you're living at their disposal. Because we don't give birth to wolves, and they can't do it themselves. So that's your job. And you learn to live at another person's disposal through that, at least somewhat. So it's not about us. We don't live at our own appetite or our own inclination. And, and, and growing up, and I'm going to use that phrase, growing up, to see that is an important part of maturing as a Christian. Somebody look at, keep your finger there in Romans, but look at 1 Corinthians 13. I need a volunteer. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Out loud would be better. <laughs> Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So as you read that, or you hear that being read, it speaks of a life that's not about you. That description of love, that description of what love in its purest understanding for us, being put into words, being being expressed in a way that we can understand it, that we can begin to apply to situations and people and relationships and all those kind of things. What that speaks to us is a life that is not selfish, is a life that is not centered on us, centered on each other. And so we, we're not living at our own disposal, but we are living with others in mind. And 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of that, of not being envious and not being selfish and not being self-seeking and not being self-centered and, and looking at others and understanding others and considering others. 
Okay, we're going to read a, read a few verses as we go down through this. Uh, somebody look at First Peter four one and two. First Peter four one and two. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body gets down with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human evil, human desires, but rather for the will of God. All right. So what we're going to do, and I'm going to have us read these verses as we go through this teaching. The idea is, is that this isn't just a, a single scripture, but this is an idea that you see throughout the New Testament, that over and over again, the writers of the New Testament, some of them different writers than the other one that's writing, like Peter there instead of Paul, is writing that. But the whole idea is that there's something bigger that we're living for. There's something more that we're living for than just ourselves and just, just meeting whatever it is we think we need to meet for ourselves. And our world is sending out, blaring this message. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody will. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody will. And they're blaring that message to us. <coughs> and we have to be at a place, at least I hope we can find a place, where our trust of God becomes a little stronger in us than just listening to that blaring message that's going to be hitting us in the face all the time. Because it is a loud message. And it is blaring out there, and it is something that we just hear and we're confronted with all the time. How many times are we confronted with this? It's not all about you. How many times are we confronted that to, to live as Christ and the die is gain? How many times are we confronted with that, that we are putting to death selfish desires in our bodies so that we can live for God? I mean, are we really confronted with that as many times a day as we're being confronted with take care of yourself or nobody will? See, this is something that we have to maintain in us. This is something that we need to feed in us. Something that we need to, to look at and remember and remind ourselves of and encourage ourselves of. That it's not about living at my own disposal. What does that mean to you? I'm not living at my own disposal. What does that mean? That's a really interesting word. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How would you use the, I mean, that's exactly the, the overreaching meaning of it. Well, how would you define, like if you were going to use the word disposal, how would you define the word disposal? For your use. For your use. Okay. So if you're at your own disposal, you're at your own use. You're for your own use. So in other words, it's probably something that you're going to benefit from. And so how hard is it to talk yourself out of something that you're going to benefit from? That's pretty hard, right? It's like, it's like I had, uh, and I could use these examples, but I mean, I, I was working a job before I went into full-time ministry. I had a full-time job. And I was traveling on the weekends, and that job, and it's like this always happens. 
God gave me a date, and it's like, this is where I want you to go into full-time ministry. Well, this job I've been working, I mean, I've been there for years. I'd steadily moved through the ranks. I kind of moved sideways the last time, and and uh, I was making more money, but I had less responsibility. And uh, and so so I, I was about to, you know, I was about ready to leave. And so I, it was like probably two days before I put in my resignation, the guy that I worked for, who was second in charge of the center where I worked, he called me in. The guy was like in his 60s, and I'm in my 20s. He called me, he's like, Andy, he's like, I want to let you know that we've uh, discussed this both here and nationally, and uh, we want you to take over my job. I'm going to be leaving my job the next month or so, and we'd like you to take over my job. And I'll train you, and we can get you in motion, and we'll get you going. The two days before I was ready to hand this man my resignation. And where does that come from? I don't know. Right? Right? So so I had to stick to my guns, though. But you got to look that in the face, and you got to say, okay, this is going to benefit me greatly. I was already the youngest person in the country in my position. I was about to take over a position where I'd be by far the youngest person. And make about twice as much as what I was making in the position I was in. And I knew that. It's hard to look at something that benefits you and say no. Especially going into an unknown. Especially going into something like ministry. I think I had raised $500 a month so far. When it was time for me to quit. And that was the point that God told me to quit. It's like when you get $500 a month coming in monthly. Quit your job. I was making a heck of a lot more than that at the job. And so I had to make a decision. But we have to make those kind of decisions in our life. We have to make decisions about, well, is this going to really benefit me? So what? There has to be some point in our life where we lay down that that thing, whatever it is. And I don't know how to describe what that thing is, that self-preservation or or whatever it is, and where we let go of the reins of that, and we just trust God and say, whatever, God, whatever you have, I'm going to trust you with it. You know what? I've never regretted that decision that I made that day in that office with that old man talking to me where I resolved it in my heart before I even left that office. I never regretted that decision one time. Ever. And those are some hard times. And those are some lean times. And those are some times where there wasn't a lot of food in the cabinet or in the fridge. There were times where it really didn't seem like things were going to work out or whatever the times were. I never regretted not doing that. I knew I was where I was supposed to be. And there is something powerful about just being where you're supposed to be. Because we don't exist apart from others. Like Dave was saying, no no man is an island unto himself. Well, we're not even islands. Not really. We don't exist apart from others. And we need to be conscious of our relations. Firstly, we need to be conscious of our relation with God. That it's always there, that's always a part of our life, always a part of every decision, always a part of every interaction, always a part of really every consideration in our life, is that we're related to God. So that has to be, number one, we need to be aware of that and conscious of that, but we also have to be conscious of our relations with man. And that those relationships do not exist for our own advantage or pleasure. They just don't. That doesn't mean that we don't gain any advantage or pleasure from them. It just means they don't exist for those reasons. And there will be those times in relationships where we gain a lot. 
It'll be those times in those relationships where great things happen and we have a great time doing it and all the rest of that stuff. But there's going to be times in those kind of relationships where things are hard and they, they're, they're taxing and they're draining on our lives. And the reality of it is we'd rather be something out doing something else or somewhere else. Sometimes relationships are hard. They just are. And, and somewhere I hope there's a value in us that, that relationships are important. The God relationship, that is what it is. The God relationship is what it is. I cannot defend God in your life. Can't. Nor should I need to. And that's all I got to say about it. I should never have to defend God in your life. He is who He is. Now other people, sometimes it gets a little tough. But you know what? It's a truth that it's a part of who we are. That person we don't get along with is a part of who we are. That person who who is a Christian but maybe we don't see eye to eye, that's a part of who we are. It just is. And you think about the person that's a Christian that you don't get along with, you're going to spend the rest of eternity with that person. With a thousand years to get to know them even better. Right? And I know that's crazy, but it is true. And so somehow, some way, there needs to be some recognition that there's something bigger going on here than just whether or not that person made fun of my socks or whatever they made fun of or that person thinks that I'm stuck up or that person thinks that I'm a terrible person or that person thinks that whatever they think, I don't know, that I smell like cabbage or whatever they think about me. There's got to be something bigger in our lives that says, hey, I got to be conscious of the fact that that person, that person exists with me right now. We're in this together. We are in this together. And so our actions and our non-actions will affect those that are around us. Let's read another verse, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Second Corinthians five fifteen. <clears throat> All right, thanks for reading that. All right, now I hope you can tie this in to Sunday from now. I hope you can tie this in a little bit. That we're gonna celebrate the resurrection. We're going to celebrate what Jesus did Friday. We're going to meet. We're going to, we're going to do the Good Friday healing service. And we're recognizing his death. We're recognizing his sacrifice. We recognize the fact that he was tortured, that he was killed, and he suffered. And, and we are healed in that process. That's where we're going to recognize that. And then Sunday, we have a celebration and we're going to recognize, okay, he rose again. But understand what 1 Peter 4 says. Understand what 2 Corinthians 5 says. That all that took place. And what was put on us is this idea that we no longer will live to ourselves. We're not going to do it. But we're going to live for him. That's all part of that revelation. That's all part of the work of Jesus. That's all part of what all of that means. 
Yeah, yeah, we benefit because, all right, there's healing in that. Great. Let's receive of that healing. But he died so that we not only would be healed, but we might not live for ourselves anymore. We got something bigger to live for. He was raised again so that we can live for something bigger than ourselves. Something greater, something larger than who we are right here and right now. And part of living for something bigger than ourselves, part of living for something greater than ourselves, is to understand that your actions and your non-actions affect people around you, whether they're Christians or not. Your actions and your non-actions affect the people around you. Give me an example. Anybody? Anybody? Huh? How you talk at work? What are you talking about? Okay, that's not that's not necessarily the end of the end, but can that affect things that are going on around you? Obviously, it can. Does your attitude affect the people around you? It can. Sure, you're in a bad mood. Yeah, they're going to affect people around you, probably. People that you're working with closely, if you're in a bad mood, guess what's going to happen to them? Probably not in the best of moods. So you're responsible for that. Okay. What's going to happen? Yeah, or other people just start leaving their stuff laying around. Yeah. Right? You know what happens? Yeah. yeah. You're affecting the culture. You're affecting the people that are around you. All right? Now think in terms of spiritually. Now, and this is even a bigger thing to me, is that us being somewhere as we are allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us, we have the opportunity to affect places, people, things, businesses, neighborhoods, cities, parts of the country. And it could be environmental issues like the weather. It could be anything. We have the opportunity to affect those kind of things as we're living in what God has for us to live in. We're living in the Holy Spirit. We're living in His authority. We're going around, we're going to trample upon snakes and scorpions today. Let's go. We're living in the joy of the Lord. We're going to affect things that are around us. We're living in the peace of God. We're going to affect things. We're going to affect people. I mean, you can look at this just from a physical point of view and see how it works. You can look at this from an emotional point of view and see how it works. Now, multiply that. Take, a, take, take an exponent and multiply it by an exponent, and then you have the spiritual ramifications of what you're doing. Everybody can walk in and affect things physically or emotionally in some kind of social way, but we have the opportunity to really affect things, not only for now, but for eternity spiritually. Yeah. So I'm just thinking in terms of like people who live out of their head, and they keep, you know, the spiritual stuff tucked away, but they're busy, busy, busy doing what they got to do, and then you got the person who's like totally focused, they want to live, you know, for, you know, everything God's putting in their heart or whatever. How, how does that, how would that other person affect Right. You can't really, why, and this, this is a, I mean, I really mean this question. 
if we have the living God in us, how or why would we ever tuck him away? What's the advantage of tucking him away? Our own vanity? We don't get embarrassed? I mean, you understand what I'm saying, right? You follow what I'm saying? It's like, how, how do we do that? And I, and I mean, we're all guilty of that to one extent or another. But at some point in our life, there needs to be some, I think, some kind of maturing process in us where just there's a natural flow of what God wants to do and what God wants to say. Just letting him flow out. Well, what if I lose my job? Then you lose it. You just lost your job for the best possible reason that you could ever lose your job. I was talking about Jesus, and they fired me. Okay. Okay. And we'll pray with you for a new job. We will. It's not. It's 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 chaos. It's chaotic. Yeah. Right. And one thing I do know, in and I don't mean this to be mean or anything, but the chaos doesn't produce anything, because that's uh, you think about like when God created the heavens and the earth, his his words spoke into the chaos to bring order. So there has to be order in order for something productive to be done. So uh, taking captive every thought and bringing it into obedience, right, into the knowledge of Christ, that whole idea of taking those thoughts captive, I mean, that's spiritual warfare. Yeah. yeah. So the chaos is something that we need to war against. And I think that's easier for some people than others. I really do. I, I think that some of us struggle with that more than others do. I couldn't even tell you what the difference is because now I feel like super focused and, you know, ready and able to take captive every thought that creeps in my brain, but it was a period of time where it was just... Just couldn't do it. No? Yep. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, I do what I want attitude induces just chaos. Right. And causes people to continue to live. Well, that is chaos. Yeah. That is chaos. And I think the focus that we get through vision and call, to me, the, the focus we get through vision and call helps to put an end to that. Because that is coming into line with God's word in our life. So so like creation, as we come into line with that word, whatever that word is over us, then the chaos is spoken into and, and calmed down. That's That's how I see that. And so... If we're related, if we're related to the people around us, which we are, so our actions and our non-actions affect them, and and I want you to think about that. It doesn't matter whether you're weak or strong. Your actions and your non-actions affect that. So if you're not doing anything for Christ, is that affecting the people around you? Sure. Yeah. It's affecting them, but not for Jesus. Okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> if you if if you, you're living for Christ and, and you're strong in your faith and all of that, that's going to have a different kind of effect. But whether we live or we die, that word "live" is the word for revive. I thought that was really interesting. The word for live here is the word for revive. So whether we're going to live revive or not or dead, we affect others. We have a contagious existence. So that contagious existence could either bring revival or coming to life or it could bring death. That's up to how we're going to live. I'm not putting the pressure on you because what was the first thing I said about this whole thing? It's not all about you. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so you need to take care of you, like, as far as making sure you're in the place where God wants you to be and stuff. That, that's, that's kind of where God's speaking to us about, but it's not all about you. So, in other words, so you're in a place, it's like, oh, no, if I'm living like this, then these people will never be reached for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. It's not all about you. But God's calling you to, to be part of something, isn't he? God's speaking to you. God has something for you. God wants something for you. And so we're affected. Yeah, we have a contagious existence. And you know what? It's a subjective existence. We're not talking about an objective existence here. In other words, we're not looking at this from the outside in. We're looking at it from the inside. We're in it. We're in our lives. You can't look at your life from the outside, really. But you're in it. So when I say examine yourself, do you understand that's subjective? Because you're examining yourself. I mean, it could get hardly any less subjective or more subjective than that when you're examining yourself. So it isn't a subjective existence. It's a subjective way of seeing things, but it is contagious. So we require, if we're going to live together, and we're going to understand that we don't exist apart from each other, and we're going to understand that our actions and our non-actions affect people around us, here's what we need. You ready? This is what we need. We require a common focus. That's what we require. And again, reading those verses, for this purpose, Jesus paid the price. So we have a common focus. For this purpose. Jesus paid the price. So, in a kind of handy way, our focus is right before us this Friday and Sunday. We have a common focus. Jesus is that focus. That he died and that he rose again. That is our common focus. Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Alright, what does that bring us back to again? You were what? You're bought with a price. So we have a common focus, and that common focus is Jesus. He paid the price. He paid the price. And so now he gives us, and you can think of that word price as being ransom. That's the same word. He paid the ransom. 
whatever it was, whatever was required to set you free, whatever was required to to get you right with God, whatever was required to put you in relationship with God, he paid that price, whatever it was. He did it. And so we have that focus that we have this one. We all have the same friend. We all have the same Redeemer. We all have the same uh, we all have the same Savior. And so we have a common focus. And he relates us all together. So, so he calls us to honor God, to honor him with our service, our lives, and according to his will. Why do we have a hard time with that? What gets in the way? We do, for sure. And why do we get in the way? What are we good at? We're great at being selfish and justifying stuff. Yeah, we're really good at that. We can justify anything, any action, any decision, anything. We can justify any selfish choice in our life. We can justify it. We just can. We're just really good at it. But the fact of the matter is we belong to God, to the Lord. And what he calls us to be is devoted to him, to find pleasure in being his servant. And by servant, I don't mean slave in the traditional way that people would know that word. What I mean is that we find a pleasure, that we are the object of his favor and care in our lives. We are the object of his favor and care. And we need to find ourselves in that position. That we belong to him, that we're the object of his favor and care, and devote ourselves to him. Why is this so foreign? And I'm totally serious. I'm really asking that question. Why is this so foreign? I mean, think about like we're gonna we're gonna think about. I'm gonna go back to that. But I want you to think about like um, back uh, in say World War II when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. How many people? And I mean, think about this, and I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that went and volunteered to join the armed services after that and devoted themselves to their country and defending their country at cost of their own lives. Where'd that go? Where is that? Where are people devoted to their families? with a divorce rate of way over 50%. Where is it? Where are people that are willing to sacrifice for others on any level? I mean, anybody you ever hear about sacrificing for someone, they're, they're a hero. Really? Isn't that kind of who we're called to be? To take care of ourselves and take care of each other? I mean, I, I read stories about people doing things that people have done for centuries. And now they're a worldwide hero for the same actions. Really? A worldwide hero? Is it that uncommon for someone to give their life for someone else? 
especially a policeman or a fireman. The way I understood that is that that was their duty. You're killed in the line of duty. And when you sign on, that's what you sign on for. It's like you join the military. And I'm not saying there are any less heroes or whatever you want to say. I just want to, I just want to really understand. It's like these people, that they signed up for this. Then knowing what was going to happen or what could happen. Why is it so hard for us? I want to suggest that we are fighting, and I mean fighting, a real battle here. That we are fighting a real battle against the world that we live in. And we are losing the battle. I don't know how many Christians would be willing to give their lives for what they believe. I don't. I don't know how many Christians would be willing just to, to lay down their life and, instead of denouncing Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have no idea. He expects that. You kind of get that. But already in somebody's mind, they're thinking, well, why would he ever expect that of me? Because he does. <laughs> because that, that's what you're called to. That's a devotion level that you're called to. Yeah. Yep. Well, he would never expect me to do that. Yeah, he does, actually. Yeah. What, Dave? Really? Yeah, I've heard that argument before. And I'm like, well, we are fighting. Why don't we just say we can justify everything? And that's If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Period. And I'm not trying to be a hard ass here or anything. All I'm trying to say is there's a level of devotion that he's looking for. And we need to find ourselves in the midst of that. That we are, and Layla, you were asking about this, we are the object of his favor and care. His servant. We don't define servant that way, and yet he defines servant that way. His favor and care rest upon us. His grace and His provision rest over our lives. He has said He will take care of us. He will protect us. And we find ourselves in service of Him. There's a joy in that. And that may require us to redefine how we see a servant or how we see or understand what it means to be a servant. And it may also force us to redefine what devotion means. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be devoted? And to really just allow God to begin to rework some of those ideas in our hearts and our minds in a world that we're fighting so hard. This is so hard against the tide. I can't even, I can't even describe it how hard this is against the tide. To the point that these words on this page for some people just don't make any sense whatsoever. Or they just make them, make mean something else. But the fact of the matter is we, are joined and we are together and we're all part of something bigger than ourselves and we don't live for ourselves anymore but we live for Him and we live for one another and we prefer one another. 
And we find that throughout the New Testament. That Jesus died and that He rose again so that we could live that way. And that's the expectation over us. And so when we get together Good Friday, that's the expectation. We get together on Easter to celebrate, that's the expectation. Because in addition to all the benefits there are, in addition to all the great things that happened because of his death and resurrection, one thing is for certain that he died and we no longer live to ourselves, but we live to him. And that has to be a part of that equation. And we're not going to get anywhere with the work of the gospel. We're not going to get anywhere in the work of the kingdom. We're not going to get anywhere in what God has for us and who God has for us to be. Go all the way back to that, those first verses we read in 1 Corinthians 13. You we're talking about, it says, all these to love is this and love is that and love, 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 love. And then it says all that other stuff that we do, that's all going to cease. You know what's going to be left? Love. And so I want to encourage you, and this is where I'm getting back to, I want to encourage you to examine yourself. I need to examine myself. You need to examine yourself about where you're at. About where we're at. That it's not all about us. That we don't exist apart from each other. That our actions, our non-actions, affect those that are around us. We require a common focus, which we have in Jesus. And we belong to God. What about that is messing with you right now? Anything? I just want to encourage you to begin to talk to God about that. So let's take a few moments, just right where you're sitting, and and let's take this right to God and see what He might say and see what He might begin to speak to us. Maybe He's already spoken, and we need to respond. You know what a good way to respond Uh, how about confession and repentance? How about say, I don't want to do it differently. I don't want to keep living this way. God, this isn't what you have for me. This isn't what you have for anybody that's yours. I need to stop. I need to go a different way. How about that? Father, I, I pray for us tonight that we would really, truly just take a moment right now. Right where we're sitting. And that we would examine ourselves. Examine ourselves in the in the spiritual mirror of your word tonight. Not making something up, not justifying anything, not explaining anything away, but really just seeing ourselves for who we are. And God, if necessary, we just want to ask you, we want to change. I'm sorry. We need to change. So just take a few moments with him and and take that time with him. I need to change, God. You need to confess to him some areas you need to change in. Whatever's being shown to you, whatever you're seeing there, areas of selfishness, areas where you've been serving yourself, areas where you've been living at your own disposal or your own appetite maybe. Your own inclination. Whatever that is.
Thank you, God. We don't need to explain anything. We just need to change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He said if we confess our sin, He is faithful, He is just, He will forgive and He will cleanse. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him forgive you. Let Him be faithful in your life and just in your life. Right here and right now. Thank you, God. God, tonight we say thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and for his resurrection. We thank you for all the benefits that we receive of that in healing and in wholeness. We thank you for forgiveness and cleansing. We thank you, God, for fellowship with you. We thank you, God, that, that we have been washed. We thank you, Lord, that there are so many benefits to your sacrifice and for giving of your life and all that great love that you showed us through that. God, we say thanks for the resurrection and the power that there is in that and the life that there is in that and the hope and the joy and the celebration there is in all of that. Thank you, God. But God, I pray that we respond appropriately. That, yeah, we'll celebrate. We'll praise you. We'll clap. We'll raise our hands. We'll do all those things. God, I pray we respond appropriately in the giving, the giving of who we are to you. The giving of our lives. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for you. Thanks, God. Thanks for the opportunity to live for you. Thanks, God, for the opportunity to live devoted to you. There'll be no one better to live devoted to than you. And thanks, God, that we are the objects of your favor and the objects of your care. Thanks, Lord. I pray that we can not only recognize that, but we can actually, actually live in it. In your devotion, in your care, and in your favor. God, thanks. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for taking care of us. And thanks for always being there for us. I pray you teach us what it means to live for you. You teach us what it means to be faithful. And you teach it what it means, us what it means to be and return the devotion to you, God. Thanks. Thank you, Lord. So tonight, I pray that you continue to speak to us. I pray you continue to challenge us. I pray, God, that you continue to shake us a little bit here and there. That, God, we would... See fit to change our minds and allow you to change us from the inside out so we could be some different people as we not only leave this place tonight, but as we go to work tomorrow and we go about the business that you call us to do. 
So God, I thank you for your love over us. I pray that love would just spread to everyone around us. God, we'd love you back. Give you thanks and praise tonight. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. Amen.